So a man goes on a long journey uh, that didn't begin as a long journey. He decides he's going to take a trip, uh, just a little day hike in the woods. Uh, He goes off trail uh, because he saw a butterfly flittering around off the side of the trail, and, and he wants to go find the butterfly. So he goes off trail trying to find the butterfly. He stumbles and falls on a root and, and heads uh, head over heels down the uh, side of a, a hill and a mountain, finds himself at the bottom of a ravine. Uh, he's not hurt, got some bruises and scrapes, uh, but he doesn't know where he is. And so he begins to try to climb his way out to find the trail that he had wandered off from. In his uh, pursuit, he's climbing uphill, doesn't find the trail, goes back downhill, doesn't find the trail, goes to the left, doesn't find the trail, goes to the right, doesn't find the trail, when all of a sudden, he looks up and he realizes that the light has gone, the sun has set, and darkness is falling. He begins to panic because he realizes that... uh, there's um, dangers in the dark that uh, he really didn't want to have to face. You know, lions and tigers and bears. Y'all did that really well. I mean, that's great. Uh, and, and so he becomes a little bit more fearful and a little bit more frantic trying to find the trail that he had left. The darkness settles in around him. And if you've ever been in the wilderness, I mean in the backwoods, uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of miles from any home or civilization, you know when it's dark, it is really, 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 really dark. He might see the flittering of a, of a lightning bug every now and then, and perhaps it's a, it's a brighter night with a full moon, but, but there is no light around. He's covered by the canopy of the trees, and, and all he sees is uh, just the ground in front of him, and, and he's frantically trying to find the trail that will lead him out of the wilderness and out of the darkness. And in his desperation, he looks and he walks and he walks and he looks. And as he tops one little ridge over in the distance, he sees what appears to be a glowing little speck of light. He sees the light and it draws him. Like a moth to a flame, he is ready to find that light because in the deep darkness, any hint of light is hope for rescue. It doesn't matter uh, which way he thought was the right way to go. When he saw the light, he knew that that was the only way to go. And he walks, and he walks, and he walks, and he comes upon a camp with a light and a lantern, and he feels safe and secure once again. Today we're beginning a series called The Son of God. 
And we begin this series in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Really, what we're looking at is why should we follow Jesus, the Son of God? See, here's the deal. We're, we're in a whole nother ball game when it comes to our culture. It's not really that different than the way things used to be in our culture. It just feels like it. You see, the way things used to be, if you were a follower of Jesus, you would get thrown to lions and tigers and bears. Awesome. It used to be, if you were a follower of Jesus, you were seen as some backward, um, weird, strange kind of person. The way things used to be is there were a bunch of different ways of looking at life and a lot of different gods to follow. And if you followed Jesus, that was just one option among many. And really, you were kind of strange for just following one option among many. Most people, the way it used to be, most people followed a multitude of different gods, not just one. And so when John the apostle began to write this gospel, he was writing to people who were dealing with times kind of the way we begin to feel like the times are today. One thing we do know is that darkness is pretty heavy. That darkness can be pretty frightening and scary. We know as we look at the landscape of our um, moral compass, even in the United States of America, we begin to notice that there are fractures in the moral compass, that there really doesn't seem to be a true north any longer in the morality and the moral fabric of our nation. And, and so we begin to 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 scream about how the darkness is falling or the sky is falling. And and the truth is the darkness has already fallen and the sky has already come down. It's not really that new. It's just perhaps we haven't seen it. And certainly there are stark reminders like we saw this past week when the reports of... um, an agency that was designed and is created supposedly to protect health of people is selling body parts of unborn babies. Now, I know that you perhaps are going to debate that statement and maybe you're going to try to find some loopholes to try to explain it. Friends, please don't try with me. I don't mean that ugly. I'm just saying you're selling body parts. We don't live in the days of Dr. Frankenstein, and he did it under the cloak of darkness. It would be unethical. But these are babies. Regardless, and, and you can try to explain that away. I hope, I hope at the end of this series you won't be able to explain it away. But, but what we have to do is we have to find some level ground from which we can walk with security. 
Now, again, y'all who have walked with me for any period of time, you know I'm not one of these guys that's going to be screaming at the cultural atrocities around us. I, I don't do that a lot. Now, I tried to share this a couple of weeks ago. God did not call me to be the pastor of the people committing all those atrocities outside this church. God called me to be your pastor. Okay, so I've got to talk to you about what you're dealing with. It's easy to scream about sinners out there and ignore the sinners in here. And point at me, too. Didn't want to just point at you all. It's all of us. And in many ways, we are a people walking in wilderness looking for light. The good news for us as followers of Jesus is that we have discovered the light. And Christ has set up camp and we have sat in the camp with him. And for many of us here today, we have been rescued from the darkness because we have experienced the light of Jesus that gives us life. But I wonder how many of us, as followers of Jesus, having found light and life sitting at Christ's camp, when the mood hits us, get up from the camp, turn our back on the light, and begin to wander back in the darkness again. Stumbling and fumbling downhill still wearing our respectable attire of good church-going folk, still showing up when we're supposed to show up, but we're still not following Jesus, the Son of God. We've walked away from the light. Some of us are here today, and we struggle with why should we follow Jesus? I mean, don't you hear every now and then some people around you saying, well, yeah, I know the Bible said that, but I mean, that book was written thousands of years ago. How can it have any kind of relevance on your life today? Have you ever adjusted what you used to believe to fit what people more readily believe today? See, what I believe John the Apostle is doing when he's writing this gospel, this story of Jesus, he's trying to herd us up together as followers of Jesus, not so that we can cloister together and feel safety but so that we might be equipped and prepared to follow Jesus, the Son of God, even when we're surrounded and shrouded by darkness around us. Even when the people don't think the way we think or believe what we believe or have the values that we have as followers of Jesus, how can we hold the line and keep on following Jesus, the Son of God, when it's unacceptable, when it's out of the norm, when it seems a little strange or a little weird. Well, as we begin this series, and that's a long introduction for this series, hopefully I won't have to give that long introduction again many times during this series, but John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, 
It's the way we're going to begin this journey. And, and the reason we begin here is because it begins us at the very beginning. It begins us at the beginning, even before time was, we begin at the beginning. In John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus is the Word. We know Jesus is the Word, because if you slide on down to verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John the Apostle is talking about Jesus. Verse 14 is talking about Bethlehem, Christmas. So when we look at verse 1, we know that the Word is talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As we look at what John was doing, he's trying to, to present the argument for you and for me following Jesus regardless of what anybody else does. I mean, following even when your friends don't. I mean, following him even when your peers think you're a backward, fundamentalist, uh, uneducated, bigoted kind of person. I mean, following him when people ridicule you, uh, following him when your life is even threatened. It's following him no matter what. Whole hog, all in, no holds barred, following Jesus. Following him even when it means you've got to give up something that you like or you care about or you feel. Which may be the hardest test of all. So when John writes, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He lays out the beginning argument, the bedrock of why we should follow Jesus, the Son of God. He goes on, and and, and let's read all the way through verse 5. He says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life and The life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot, could not, will not overcome it. Here's here's the beauty of of this wonderful beginning. We follow Jesus, the Son of God, because when we follow him, he gives us life. See, the big picture of John 1, 1 through 18 is if we're going to have life, it's because we follow Jesus, the Son of God. It's not because we're smart. It's not because we've got a new philosophy. It's not because we have the right friends. It's not because we have uh, more people on our team than they've got on their team. It's not because we're a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent or a Tea party or. We have life because we're following Jesus, the Son of God. And can I tell you that following Jesus, the Son of God, is going to confront you. It's going to confront your beliefs, your ideologies. If you believe that following Jesus, the Son of God, makes you a good Republican, you have deluded yourself. Or if you believe that being a good Republican 
equates to following Jesus, the Son of God. You're, you're, you're walking in darkness. Let me throw that one on its head again. If you believe that being a Democrat assures you that you're following Jesus, the Son of God, again, you're deluded. Or if you believe that, that following Jesus, the Son of God, is, it makes you a good Democrat, again, you're deluded. When we follow Jesus, the Son of God, it doesn't matter what a political party has to say about it. We just follow him. Today, as we look at what John was doing, he was, he was laying the groundwork and the foundation. He said, here's how you have life. It's not by, uh, by, by, by being smarter or getting a better education. It's not by having better friends or my team versus their team or their team versus my team. No, the way we have life is by following Jesus, the Son of God. It's when we follow him that we have life. It's when we sit in Christ's camp. And we follow him as he goes. Because we know any other place is falling off the precipice into darkness. What John does, and I'll do this as quickly as I can. Obviously, there are some certain theological things that John is saying. John is saying that in the beginning, before time began, Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. And Jesus is and always has been God. I mean God. I mean the creator of the universe, God. Jesus is and always has been God. He created the heavens and the earth. He created and formed the human heart. God has always been in existence. There never was a time where the Son of God was not. He lived in the closest, intimate, possible fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God, and he is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 that we read a few moments ago. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 says that Jesus made the universe and he holds the universe together. Not only did he make it and hold it together, but he made it for himself, that we were created for him. The sun, moon, and stars were created for him. The mountains and the trees and the valleys and the oceans were created for for him, everything in this universe was created by Jesus, for Jesus, and he's the glue that holds it together. So why should we follow Jesus, the Son of God, even when our friends say it's backwards and out of touch? Because Jesus knows the world from beginning to end. He knows the world. He knows the universe that he made. He understands how everything works. He understands the darkness in which we live. Look, there is nothing happening in this world that is surprising to God. Jesus, the Son of God, who uh, can stop the storm because he made the wind and the clouds and the gravitational forces that make that storm possible 
Jesus is the one who understands the nature of the world in which we live. He understands the moral fabric in which we live. He understands the ebb and flow of history in which we live. He understands how bad it is today compared to how good it was whenever we have our rose-colored glasses on and we're looking at yesterday. He understands the reality of depravity and cultural decay. He gets it. He understands it. He's not scared of it. And it cannot win against him because he is the creator. So when it comes to the way the world works, and when it comes to the way we should live in the world, it's better to go to the maker of the world and get our counsel from him than it is simply from a student of the world who's trying to understand E equals MC squared. Look, I know, I understand. That when you read scripture, you might think, well, there, there's a concept or there's a belief that is, that is out of touch with today's world. Can I just say, you might want to hold off on that evaluation. See, just because you believe you have a certain truth today doesn't mean that you have the final truth. I, 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 I'm always amazed at arrogance of some who believe that because they made a new discovery that they think outdates Christianity and the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Scripture. The arrogance that says, well, you know, this is the truth. Well, no, this is your discovery of a certain truth that you perceive to be universal. But if one thing is true... One thing we know for certain is that all the truth has not been unveiled to us yet, except one thing, that Jesus is in charge of it. Again, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to evaluate things based upon the one who has given you life. This is Jesus who is God the creator of everything, and he understands the world from beginning to end. There is no new discovery that's going to happen down the road that is going to somehow shock God. He already knows. Do you know that he knew that the earth was round even before we did? We giggle about that, but, I mean, you think about it. He knew the theory of relativity before Einstein came up with it. Newtonian physics, that was neat in its day in the 19th century, but, you know, it wasn't any big deal to God. Do you know God's not scared of a Big Bang theory? I bet he could explain stuff like that better than you and I can. Guys, look, God's not scared of scientific discovery. Because he knows the world from beginning to end. So as we look at who are we going to follow, we better follow the one who made it, not the one who's studying it. 
So Jesus knows the world from beginning to end. Secondly, Jesus knows you and me inside and out. He knows us perfectly. Jesus knows us perfectly. Um, Go down to verse 14. Jesus, the word, became flesh and bone. And he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, what's the significance of that statement? Well, it's, the significance is this is Christmas. It, you know, you, you have the Bethlehem story in Matthew and in Luke. Now, this is the Bethlehem story. Verse 14 is Bethlehem. This is low in a manger he lay, right? I mean, this is, this is wise men still seek him. This, verse 14 is God became flesh. Now, let's break this apart because, again, this is important. It may seem a little dry, but just hold with me for a second, okay? So, the word became flesh. That verb became is extremely important. It means that Jesus, the Word, became something that he was not before. He became flesh. Jesus, who is and always has been God, became a baby in Bethlehem. The Word became flesh. Flesh is an important term. It means meat. It means flesh and bone. It means real body in real time. It means a crying baby needing his mother's milk. It means a little boy that has to go to the bathroom and wants to do it behind a tree. That's all they had in Palestine at that time. It, it, oh, come on, it's fun. It means that he had real desires in real time. In fact, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 says that he had every kind of desire that you and I have. Yet he never... (coughs) He always sneezed, but he never sinned. He had the desires that we have, but he never sinned. The scripture is very clear that Jesus is our advocate because, and the perfect advocate, the one who can intercede on our behalf because he gets where we're coming from. Paul said in Romans that Jesus is the one who knows our hearts. He gets you. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what makes me tick. Have you ever had Uh, one of your children or grandchildren, or have you ever said as a child or a grandchild, you just don't understand. But, But dad, if you only understood where I was coming from, if you only understood what I was going through, dad, if you only understood, you don't understand me. You're exactly right, honey. I don't understand. I... Just saying. Oh, makes my heart hurt. The truth is, I don't understand. I mean, there's a lot of things, a lot of emotions that go on in my house that I do not get. Oh, clueless. 
yesterday, we were at the lunch table and we had emotions going on and I just sat there and I went, oh, why? You know, but it's true. There are things that happen in your life. There are things that happen in my girl's life. I don't understand. You're right. I don't understand. But Jesus does perfectly. He gets your emotions, even the crazy ones. He understands. He understands us perfectly. He he knows our heart. He can unmask the things that we have hidden in our heart. He knows our desires. He knows our ambitions. He knows when we're on course and he knows what gets us off course. Jesus gets you perfectly. So why would I follow somebody that doesn't know me perfectly when I can follow someone who does know me perfectly? He became flesh. Look, literally, he became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt. The, the Greek term there is skanao. And literally, it means that he set up camp. He set up camp in human skin and bone. Fully God, yet fully man. He came among us, but not just so he could lord it over us. He pitched his camp among us so that he could show us the grace and truth that gives us life. He came to show us who God is so that we could find friendship and family with God. If we're going to follow someone, let's follow the one who knows me perfectly, but also the one who cares for me. See, Jesus gives light and offers life to all of us. Get this. Jesus is God. He became a man, but he came not as the mythological gods of, uh, of, of old, the ancient mythologies and Norse mythologies and Greek mythologies and Roman mythologies. No, he came as the God of gods and the king of kings who became flesh and bone so that he might show light and offer life. To you and to me. See, we're, we're walking in darkness. We're prisoners to the darkness, but then we see the light. And maybe it's far off in the distance, but we see the light and we say, there's my rescue. I'm lost in the wilderness. I don't know up from down. I don't know where I'm going, but I see light in the distance and we are drawn to that light like moth to a flame because we know we need the rescue. In him was life, and that life, in him was light, and that light was the life of man. He came to give us light so that we might have a chance at life. Jesus cares intimately, personally. For you, he understands what you're going through. He gets the drama, uh, the story of your experiences. And he cares. 
goes on and he says, um, uh, down in verse, uh, well, John the Baptist came and he said, uh, the man sent from God, whose name was John, this is verse six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came as a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He wasn't that light, but he was sent to bear witness to that light. That which was the true light, which gives light to every man coming in the world. Verse 10, Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to as many as believed on his name, to them he gave the right, the authority and the power to become the children of God, born not of the will of man, not, not, not of flesh and bone, but born from God himself. Now here's the thing. Jesus who knows us perfectly, came to give us exactly what we need. Not just light, not just showing us who God is, but life itself. He came to invite us into his camp, not just so we could sit and feel comfortable and safe and secure, But he invited us into his camp to receive him, to believe on him as the Son of God, as our only hope for life. So we follow Jesus, the Son of God, because he's the only one who can give us life. And he wants to. The challenge is that there are some who see Jesus and they might even see themselves in darkness and see the light from the distance and they approach the camp of Christ and, and, and they, they see who he is and they've heard what he teaches, but, but they don't want to follow him. So he came to his own, his own didn't receive him. You know, I have to say this, and I want you all to hear me. There are some of you here who are pretending like you're following Jesus, the Son of God, and you're not. I don't mean that judgmentally. I don't mean it ugly. I just mean it as a pastor and a friend. It's not enough for you to show up. It's not enough for you to put on the clothes. It's not enough for you to walk an aisle or even get wet in a baptistry. The condition... Following Jesus, the Son of God, and starting that journey is receiving Jesus and believing on Him. Believing on Him means that you give Him your life. You're all in. You're full throttle. You're a whole hog. You see Him as your only hope of forgiveness for sin. You see Him as the only option to be a part of God's family, and you can't see your life any other way. And some of you here, you've been playing church really well. You have. But you're not a follower of Jesus, the Son of God. You might say, well, Eric, I've been a member of this church long as you've been alive. So what? 
just doesn't matter. For you to be part of the family of God, for you to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there needs to be a supernatural activity of God in your heart that happens when Jesus gets hold of you and you receive him, embrace him, and you commit your life to him. Some of you need to do that. As many as received him, to as many as believed on his name, to them and only to them, do he give them the right to become part of God's family. Last thing I'd say, and then we're done. Some of us are here and we are followers of Jesus. We have accepted Jesus. We have embraced him. We have received him. We believe on him. But as we're sitting in Christ's camp, basking in the light, feasting on the truth and the grace that he delivers to us. Something happens in our head or in our heart or in our circumstances. We get up from Christ's camp and we go up back into the darkness. We decide that what Jesus is telling us to do is so confounding to our friends that we just can't follow Jesus. I believe he is God's son, but on this little matter right here, I just can't, no, I can't go with that. We get up from Christ's camp, and and, and instead of embracing him, instead of asking him and talking to him about this, we we decide, you know what? He's asking me to do something that my heart's just not going to be in. I don't feel like it. So I'm just not, I'm not going to do it, and he's going to give me a loophole. No, that's walking back into the darkness. That's stumbling on the roots again. That's abandoning safety and security in the camp of Christ. See, the question is, are we really following Jesus, the Son of God? Not just having an event with him, a reunion once a week, but am I following Jesus, the Son of God, 24-7? Because after all, that's the requirement. You know, what happens to us is we say, I mean, you look around this room and all of us have experienced misery and difficulty and challenge and change that we don't like. All of us have experienced the, the, the trauma of life. And, and what the temptation is for us, even as followers of Jesus, we'll begin to say, well, if, 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 if that person didn't do that thing, then I would be happy. Or if that person didn't behave in that way, then I'd have joy. Or if that person was just better and more in line with what I think they ought to be, then, then I would have peace in my life. Now, I'm not saying that any of those statements are untrue. I'm just saying that you have no control over anybody else. You can't control what other people are doing around you. And yet God has called you and brought you to himself and makes available joy and peace and happiness regardless what others are doing. It's easy to blame other people for your lot in life, but guys, ultimately and finally, it comes back to you and following Jesus. It's easy for us to blame our circumstances. You know, if the wind weren't blowing from the east or from the west or from the north or from the south, 
if the storm didn't come when it came, then I would be happy. I would find joy. I would have peace. And in part, those statements may be true, but can I tell you, you cannot control the wind or the storm or even the culture that is blowing around you. And yet, Jesus offers us life and joy and peace even in the midst of the blowing winds that we don't like. See, the key for us is not making others behave the way we want them to. The key for us is not in having all the winds blowing the way we want them to. The key for us is to sit in the camp with Jesus and follow him no matter what. And if we will do that, we'll see this in the weeks ahead. If we will follow him regardless of how we feel about it, then Jesus will give us life and joy and peace and he will make us happy. So will you follow Jesus, the Son of God? Would you bow your heads, please? This morning, I invite you, if you're here and you have not accepted Jesus, you have not received him, you have not believed on his name, you may be a church member, you may be a a good person, you may have moral uh, codes of conduct, conduct, you may be a good political party member, but The truth is today, as Jesus looks at you, he he would have to say, no, you're not part of my family. But you can be today. The Bible says that if we will believe on Jesus, if we will give him our life, we will repent our sin and trust him as our king and our savior if we commit ourselves today to follow him full throttle, whole hog with all that we are, if we come to the end of ourselves trying to to make life happen for ourselves and, and just fall at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm lost without you. Will you take charge of my life today? Today can be that day for you where you escape the darkness and all of its doom and despair and enter the light of Christ's camp and discover life. Perhaps most of us here are followers of Jesus, but we're very selective in when we're following Jesus. If that's who you are, will you stop it? Will you follow Jesus when you don't feel like it? Will you adjust what you think and what you feel to match what he thinks and what he wants? See, until you do that, you're not really following him. You're just giving him lip service. Will you walk back into the light of Christ's camp 
and dwell in the life that he offers. Oh, Jesus, thank you for setting up camp among us and showing us the grace and the truth that we so desperately need. Thank you for offering us life by shining the light of who God is. I pray that we would follow you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.